Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is an important part of the scriptures. It holds some of the most memorable accounts in the entire Bible, like the story of creation and the calling of Abraham. But more important than the individual stories within it, this book marks the beginning of God's magnificent plan of redemption for a lost humanity. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. We are continuing our study in the book of Genesis. If you'll open to Genesis chapter 12, we are slowing down a little bit. Uh, I think I was originally thinking that we we're going to go through a few more chapters as we zip along, and there might be a time when we arrive there, but starting to realize that um, this is going to probably take us a little longer than we originally anticipated, which is not a bad thing. Uh, I, I did want to let you know that the Uganda mission team arrived back in, in the U.S. I say in the U.S. because some of them are still waiting for their flight from Seattle to Portland with the, uh, with the airline stuff that's going on with the Alaska Airline, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, a bunch of flights got canceled, so they are split up at this point. So the majority of them arrived probably about uh, 20, 20 minutes ago, 25 minutes ago. And uh, Pastor Doug's picking them up. That's why Pastor Doug's not here. I was supposed to pick them up, but their flights kept getting pushed back and back and back. And then the last of them, Wayne and Joby, are going to get the joy of hanging out at the airport until 9.45 tonight <laughs> and getting home at 10.45. So it's been a Mr. Toad's wild ride, if you're familiar with Disneyland. <laughs> And uh, lots of challenge, but they're doing great despite, I'm sure they're very, very tired, but they're doing great. And yeah, we'll be excited to hear, maybe get a report from them on what's, what's transpired while they were away and what God did in and through them. Before we dive into uh, Genesis chapter 12, let's do just a little bit of review from last week as we've been working our way through Genesis. Hopefully we're seeing uh, the repeated themes throughout Genesis. Uh, those themes include the power and mercy of God, sin and death, the Lord's blessing of life, of possessions, property, and progeny or descendants. And you have these, the most common word repeated throughout the book of Genesis is blessings. In fact, Blessing, or in all its forms, is used more in the book of Genesis than anywhere else in the Bible. It's, it's crazy. So this book is about blessings. As one writer summed it up, he said, we might conclude, as did that Bible teacher, the book of Genesis is about God's promise of blessing and life. And therefore, there are these frequent mentions of genealogies, and they're really there for the purpose of tracking descendants of a particular generation or individual so we can see the continuation of God's promise to provide the seed mentioned in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And through each successive generation, we can then trace the faithfulness of God to maintain that lineage of faith and godliness that would continue on through the generations. Last week, we studied through chapter 11 and the history surrounding the Tower of Babel and the people. 
And from the beginning, we learn the critical importance of sharing our faith, giving away the knowledge and the truth and the commands of God that he's given to each one of us with each generation. And we have a great responsibility, don't we? A great responsibility to train up, to disciple those God has entrusted to our care, not just our children, but our friends, our family, uh, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, whatever our realm of influence, we have a responsibility to pass this along. As these things were allowed to fade in those generations from Noah, as they faded kind of into the background of history, the natural outcome of that loss of transmission of the majesty and glory and truth of God is an increase in wickedness and rebellion. And we, again, this is one of those repeated cycles that we see the majesty and glory and purity of God and then through Adam and Eve and then the decline and then judgment and then restoration. And we're seeing this pattern already developing and we'll continue to see it. The slow fade from faith to sin just kind of marched along in all of those generations, even as it does today. And the result, results are attempts to serve two masters. We talked about this last week as Matthew 6, 24 reminds us, it is impossible to serve two masters. It's impossible to, to have a, a, the truth of God dwelling in us and yet serving or attempting to serve our own self-interests. And in essence, saying, I am the authority of my life. And with those two, kind of two masters now in place there at the Tower of Babel, you have two messages, two competing messages, conflicting messages about life and blessing. And we talked about that, how that leads to a, this cognitive dissonance, this incompatibility between two truth claims or messages. Is God the source of truth? Is he the giver of life? Is he the one in the authority? Or are we? And that was the message they were wrestling through. And it really asked the question of us, what message or story are we telling with our lives? How are, how are we, how am I cooperating with or against the truth of God? And we, we see God's then, again, his judgment come again as he separates and divides the people um, during the generation of Peleg. And I mentioned again last week that Noah was alive for many of us, including myself, as I was studying through that, shocking to learn Noah was still alive when all this craziness was going on. But Peleg, I didn't mention it last week, but Peleg, Peleg, his name means divide or to divide. So it was in his generation that the nations were divided. And we see the foundations of each of those generations or those nations then. So chapter 11 wraps up with another genealogy which serves to kind of hammer home the message of in the end, it doesn't matter what path we choose or message we send because God is sovereign. He is going to fulfill his plan. We'll see that again tonight. We may choose our own path, but ultimately it leads to the same ending, that kind of face-to-face -face encounter for every person, one for judgment and one for redemption. God remains faithful to his promise of, bless, of the blessing of the Messiah, the seed of the woman, and nothing would stop him from fulfilling that. 
As I mentioned last week, we, as we continue through Genesis, we'll see how God is narrowing this, the focal point of history. He's narrowing it down from one generation to the next to the next, and he's choosing one individual, and his goal all along is to keep us, as I mentioned, focusing upon the fact that his promise for the Messiah and how he was going to fulfill that. Each time sin increases, he steps in to provide a course correction, which leads to the next person who will communicate his message and continue the lineage of faith, which leads to the Messiah. And so here is where we pick up in chapter 12 as we read about the history and the life of Abram, later to be known as Abraham. If you'll read with me, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, Adam is, or Abram is the next chapter in this story, the story of, of God's salvation plan. And it begins, as usual, with God communicating uh, life and blessing to one who is attentive, attentive to him and, and as a willing servant. This is part of God's regular pattern. He is always looking for attentive and willing servants. He entrusts his plan to those who are listening for him and willing to follow where he leads. Now to Abram, he says, go. He says, go and, and trust me. And this is the call for every believer. God says, go, go into all the world. He's, he's given us a command. Wherever we find ourselves, we are to communicate the truth, the gospel, the, good, the greatest news that will ever be told. And, and we are to consider what that means, the cost that comes with that. Matthew 10, chapter 37 through 39, um, Jesus said, the one who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And the one who loved, does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The one who has found his life will lose it. And the one who has lost his life on my account will find it. Now, this is, even, even as God is calling Abram, he's also in that moment asking him to consider the cost to leave his family. It, for us, it's the cost of following Christ. And, and that, to be able to hear, to discern that call of God requires us to be in this consistent intimate fellowship with him. And, and again, we, we know the rest of the story of Abraham's life, um, from even from the New Testament, how he enters into, quote, the hall of faith, that he was a man, who was a man of faith, even though we'll see some missteps along the way. But it was because he counted the cost and he believed that what God said was true. Make no mistake, family or relationships are critically important to God. I mean, he asks Abram to leave everything that is familiar. He says, I need your full attention. So family relationships are, are important. 
But as, as I mentioned there in Matthew 10, it, we, we cannot allow family or relationships to prevent us from following what God has commanded us to do. Uh, in Matthew 8, 22, uh, Jesus speaks to someone asking to follow him. And he says, let the dead bury the dead. He's telling them, listen, there is a more important priority, a greater priority in our lives. And I, I can only imagine what it's like for believers in certain parts of the world. You know, we have missionaries in some of the closed countries and what it must be like when they share the gospel with someone and that person realizes the truth, embraces the truth of God and his word, but that also comes with a loss, not, not a, a minor loss, but a complete loss of relationship with family, as if you had died. And, and I, I, I know I've never experienced that to that degree. I know that some of us may have experienced the loss of friendships, maybe some family relationships because of our desire to follow Christ. But God calls us. When he calls us, he says, trust me. Trust me in this. I have something better for you. For those who believe we are called to a holy purpose, a purpose established by and set apart for God. And this is, comes into play in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And, and this is the relationship that God is calling us to, not just into relationship with him, but the purpose, a holy purpose. Uh, and Pastor Doug's mentioned this before. It's not that God has just called us to leave sin. He's not called us just to run from something. He's called us to run to something. The majesty and the glory of God, which God says is infinitely better, more satisfying, more purposeful than anything else in this world. There in 1 Peter, it says that we were chosen to declare the glory and majesty of God and of his plan to redeem a people from the darkness and the confusion of sin. But this requires us to obey his commands to follow. Abram listened to the voice of the Lord and complete and counted the cost, and he would eventually follow in obedience. And we'll get to that whole eventually part. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 11, there is the proclamation of, of God, this prophecy of God regarding Jeroboam who was formerly one of the military commanders with Solomon. And there in that chapter, we read of Solomon's sin against God, he, of idolatry, that he was allowing these foreign wives to corrupt him, and he was setting up places of worship for them. And because of that, God judged him and said that he would tear the, the kingdom from his hand, but yet not in his lifetime, in the lifetime of his son. And this does happen under Rehoboam. And in that prophecy, it was given that the 10 northern tribes would be taken from him and given to Jeroboam. 
And if Jeroboam would obey all that God commanded, God would build him an enduring house as he had built for David. That's what it says there. Now, sadly, Jeroboam did not obey the Lord. In fact, he did the complete opposite. He begins to set up his own system of worship of God with golden calves and the whole nine yards. You can, if you do get the chance to travel to Israel, you can go to the, one of the locations there. I think it's Tel Dan and, and see some of the remnants uh, of that. But he decided not. He, ca- he counted the cost and said, no, thanks. And he led all the successive generations into rebellion against God. He was given this great opportunity. He was given the opportunity to obey, and he chose not to. And the wreckage, it it says there, it says, in the successive generations, there was not one good king in the northern tribes, which was called Israel, the southern tribe, Judah, Uh, It was said of them, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. From one king to the next, that's how the end of their, beginning and end of their reign, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Even as we learned last week, our choices and actions have far-reaching consequences. If, if If we're not careful and we hold on to sin or or the dead things of this world, we will find ourselves living in opposition to God are we holding on to dead things? Things God, that God would say, let go of those. Leave them behind. Things that are of lesser importance that would hinder us. Have you and I obeyed the call of God to leave everything for his name's sake? Because if we do, we will discover the promised blessings of Abraham or Abram in verse two. And God says, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. One of the amazing things that we think about in in this blessing to, to Abram was that it was not just to him. It extended down the corridors of the future all the way to us sitting here today. That blessing, we are realizing and experiencing what God said would take place in Abram's life. In Galatians 3, 8, 9, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Again, we've talked about this before. God is looking for people of faith, and Abraham was one of those. The promises to Abraham were three things, land, seed, and blessing, or possessions, redemption. And also this curse to those who would stand against his chosen people. Now, just an interesting historical note, if you think about all those nations that have stood in opposition to Israel throughout the centuries, They've all experienced great loss or destruction. Think about it. Greece, under Alexander the Great. Rome, under Titus Vespasian. Spain, uh, this was a newer one to me, uh, during the Spanish Inquisitions, where they expelled perhaps millions of Jews from Spain. 
perhaps as much as 40% of their population, and they became a fifth-rate power in the world at that point because of their persecution of Jews. They were, Jews in Spain were given an option to convert, to flee, to depart to another land, or to die. Those were their three choices. And many did stay and many did die. But Spain really ceased as a, a world power. Then, and that was in 1478, all the way up to about 1834. Think again, Germany under Adolf Hitler. Then later on, again, probably lesser well-known, is Britain lost its entire empire, as it were. They were now limited to this small chunk of land that we know now as the UK. Because of their breaking faith with Israel during the Balfour Declaration, um, something just on a history note, personally interesting to me, but they, Britain determined that they were going to support Israel in reestablishing Israel as a nation, as a state. But in that process, due to a desire to kind of appease the Arab world, the Muslim world at that time, they, they reneged on that. They pulled back from it and decided not to do that. And as a result, then, of course, we see World War II, and the end result was that Britain did no, lo no longer had the, the ability and the means to maintain their empire around the world, and they lost it all, except for what they currently possess. It's also interesting that if we think about the United States and our continued success, I think they are directly linked to the result of the U.S. in 1948, May 14th of 1948, being the first nation to formally recognize Israel. And, and again, if there's uh, someone was mentioning a book, I can't remember the name now, uh, that lists all of the times that the United States has backed off their support and the subsequent tragedies and things that have taken place uh, here in the United States. God is very serious about what he says. When he gives a promise, he means to keep it, doesn't it? Right? And it, it doesn't matter what we think or what we feel. <laughs> it matters what God has said he is going to do. And he will accomplish it. As Abram was given the blessing, it required him to look beyond his own people. It required him to look beyond the believing world at that time because he was it. And he didn't even have any descendants at that point, right? His name was Abram, father, Abram, <laughs> but he had no kids. He would labor, later on be called Abraham, father of many, and he still didn't have any kids for a while. But, but it does ask, make us hopefully ask the question, what blessings, as we think about our lives, what blessings have we received because we have believed and followed the Lord? And are we looking for opportunities beyond ourselves? Because this blessing to Abraham was meant to go beyond him, certainly as much as the blessing to us is meant to go beyond ourselves, beyond our own lives. Are we looking for opportunities to impart that blessing to others? So two things, have you and I obeyed the will of God to leave everything for his name's sake? And then number two, what blessings have we received and that we are sharing with others. Verse four, 
So Abram, Abram went away as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all their possessions with the, which they had accumulated and the people which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanites were in the land at that time. Question, did Abraham or Abram immediately and fully obey God? Probably not. He definitely did not. If you actually go to Acts chapter 7, verse 2, uh, Stephen there, where he is confronted with the religious leaders, just moments before he's going to be stoned as the first martyr, he says these words in verse 2 of chapter 7. And Stephen said, listen to me, my brothers and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and he said to him, Go from your country and your relatives and come to the land which I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. <laughs> he only went so far. This was partial. It was delayed. It, first, it was delayed obedience. And our, I, I think in my own life, I can look back and I say there are certainly times or actions of delayed obedience. But one of the things that encourages me in the Bible is kind of this ugly, raw transparency. It presents, it prevents the, presents these, these people that we say are huge heroes of the faith with all their warts and scars, that we can look at them and say, I, I'm really not that much different. Oh, sure, Abram, Abram heard the very voice of God you know, got to visit with the angels on the hillside overlooking Sodom and Gomorrah as we get to that later. But we have no less powerful message tangibly when we pick up our Bibles. What it does reveal is the process of sanctification or God's process of transforming you and I more and more into his image. He's not looking for perfection. I mean, that certainly doesn't give us the, the right, uh, even as Paul says, you know, to, to go out and sin, that grace may abound all the more. But it should at least provide us a measure of comfort when we, when we jack it up and then we come to him in repentance and then remember, oh, this has been done before. I, ha I haven't lost the way. It's just been delayed. You and I at times fail to immediately follow the Lord's direction. However, we can be assured that God has continued to work out his plan. The problem is, is when we delay the promised blessing of God, we, uh, we and sometimes others may not experience the current blessing, right? We're going to delay that blessing in our life. How much better if we just obey now up front and experience that now? And again, I'm, I admit that there are times that I'm like, why, why, why did I do that, right? It could have been so much easier, so much simpler. And this is really gonna be the story of Abram's life. But again, this whole idea of delayed obedience. Now, Sam and I, when we're raising our kids, especially Gabe and Colleen, we don't do it so much with Brielle, at least anymore, I don't think. 
we, we played this game called the stop game. It was one of the things that we as parents were really committed to, having our kids understand the importance of immediate obedience. Not just to us as parents, but to God, that by demonstration, by practical application, they would understand that there is a blessing in that. So we would play this stop game where at any point while we were out in public, we could just say stop and they would have to freeze right where they were. Well, one time we were coming out of the Nordstrom Rack over there at the Clackamas Promenade and Gabe and Colleen were gonna race each other to the car to see who could get there first. Before we could say, say anything, they burst out the doors. Colleen was in the lead and right before she hit the edge of the sidewalk, I looked and I saw this car coming and the person is looking for a parking spot. They are not looking for kids. And I just yelled, stop! And she just froze right there on the edge of the, <laughs> right? Now her, the blessing was, for Sam and I for certain, is not burying a child. <laughs> for, for Colleen, it was certainly not getting crushed, smashed like a grape. Because that was, we used, I used to tell them, it was like, that thing would have smooshed you like a grape. But the lesson, the lesson there of the blessing of immediate obedience is so critically important. And it's one that we ought to teach our children. It's one that we ought to demonstrate in our own lives. Because if we're not immediately obeying, if we're delaying obedience, this often leads then to later on partial obedience, which is there in verse five. Not only did Abram not leave his family when he was supposed to, he does eventually leave, but he takes his father with him and he takes his nephew with him. And they don't make it all the way there. They stop in Haran and eventually Terah, his father, dies. And then he's like, okay, let's continue the journey. God renews the call and he goes. His decision to bring Lot now on this second call is now accompanied by a future full of hardships and heartaches. And as we get into, into the, the, the further story of Genesis, we'll get to see this all played out. But it reveals this timeless principle that holding on to things from the old life will likely lead to problems in the new life. Holding on to things from the old life will likely lead to problems in the new life. And I can absolutely tell you this from experience. You know, when I came to Christ, uh, there was a lot of, you know, I read all the books about how to win friends and influence people. And, uh, you know, again, I've shared before the staff, you know, like, that's why you do those things you do to remember people's names. And like, well, not anymore. But <laughs> yes, I use those tools, but not for the same purposes. <laughs> um, but I had all those things in my life. And it's so easy for us, I think, to come to Christ and, and in essence, almost like add Christ to our life. And I say that very specifically, to add Christ to our life. Rather than abandoning our life and embracing Christ. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus responds to, to some people that are saying, hey, we want to follow you. And they're desiring to be his disciples. And he says there, but Jesus said to them, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
And I really ask the question, how has delayed or partial obedience affected our lives? How has it affected our lives that, that we have not said, Lord, I hear you. I, I hear what you're saying in the, in the message on Sunday morning or in my personal Bible reading time or in a Bible study that I'm doing with men or women or a home fellowship. I hear what you're saying, God, about my life and these things, but I got to sort this out first. So number one, have you obeyed in the call of God to leave everything for his name's sake? What blessing have we received in our sharing with others and how has delayed or partial obedience factored in our lives? Verse seven, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Like Noah, as Noah leaves the ark and he is just like, oh, God is so good. It's so good to be out of that box, that floating coffin. But also just the, the majesty and glory of God sparing him and his family, showing him kindness and mercy and grace. He worships. Abraham now acknowledges really the blessings of God in worship. As the Lord reveals to you and I things about our lives and how he is or intends to bless us, does this inspire us to worship? We've talked about this before. Are we inspired to worship when we view, rightly view, the blessings that God is proclaiming to us? It's an often repeated theme throughout the Bible. God reveals himself and the natural response is sacrifice and worship. Now, as a dad, I've had you know, the joy of watching my three our three children being born. From the moment, I can tell you, from the moment that God or the, the, the doctor handed us that child, it was, the emotions were overwhelming. Many of you that as parents perhaps know that feeling of holding that child and seeing the majesty and glory of God in this little human, this image bearer of God. And how it can, if, if your heart is in the right place, if you, if you are seeking God and following after God, you're looking at this little human and it's overwhelming. It's like, what beauty, what majesty. Thank you, God. And it's in that sense that I, that I see that Abram is, is like, Lord, you are so good to me. You've seen how I've delayed. You've seen my partial obedience, and yet you're still willing to speak blessing on my life. You're still willing, patiently willing to watch over me. God declares his goodness and blessing to Abram and to all who will come after him. That, that right there, if you think about that, if we think about what God has entrusted to us, that right there, it ought to make me a worshipful person. You know, I don't, have you ever done this? You know, maybe at night or in the morning when you're praying, and you're like, Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for this. I know we, we pray with Brielle each night and it's, it's very easy to kind of get into this pattern of thank you, Lord, for this and thank you, Lord, for that and thank you for that, right? And you realize you're just kind of like numbly going through. 
the list. But if you stop for just a moment, and you think of the magnitude of what our life could be like. Some of us can imagine that a little better than others, perhaps. But imagine what life would be like without God, without his blessing, without his presence in our life. And then flip that around and say, now I know I have him. Does that provoke us to this very worshipful attitude? This one says, man, how could I do anything but worship you? Are we consistently worshiping God in all areas of our life? Are, are we, would people characterize us as worshiping people? And I'm not just talking about singing a song or going to church on a Sunday morning, but in our daily lives, do people see us acknowledging the presence and blessing of God in, in simple, tangible ways? We need to be those kind of people because times of hardship are guaranteed. It's not if, but when. And they will test the strength and character of our faith. And, and this rolls into chapter or verse 10 now. So now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a time because the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he was approaching Egypt that he said to his wife, Sarai, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well for me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Now it came about when Abram entered Egypt that the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake, and he gave him sheep and oxen and male donkeys, male servants and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Now, get a load of this. Abram is called to go where? To Canaan. To trust God, this great man of faith. He delays, he partially obeys, and then he abandons it altogether. And he heads down to Egypt. Now, this is a rather problematic place, and it would become problematic in Israel's history. This wouldn't be the first time. But really, it's, he does this because of a lack of focus and a faith in the promises of God. And, and when that's the case, it will often lead to compromise and sin. It's just that simple. I think we've all experienced it, right? When we take our eyes off God and we say, I'm not sure if he's really going to take care of this. I've got to figure it out. And then we compromise. And then hardship and trials are right on their heels. In the process, we forget the blessing, the promise of God. Now, in his statement, it really is a half-truth. Sarah is his half-sister, which seems weird to us, but we've talked about that before as we're repopulating the world. 
This is his half to sister. So it was a half truth, which is really a whole lie, <laughs> right? I mean, if, if we know anything about our kids, a half truth is a whole lie, the lie of omission, right? Um, and it comes with like terrible, terrible consequences. I think of Paul writing to the Galatians about their, uh, their failure to keep their eyes on Christ, on, on the message of Christ. And Paul writes, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But for whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's telling him like, listen, you want to go back to the law? You want to take your eyes off the hope that is in Christ and you want to go back to the law? Who, who has hornswoggled you, <laughs> right? Who has tricked you into believing such nonsense? Well, how did they do it? Well, you took your eyes off the prize. And, and, and we are told to keep our eyes upon the author and the perfecter of our faith. We are to stay the course as we've heard through the book of Jude on Sunday mornings. Now, several years ago at one of our men's retreats, uh, we had a guest teacher who shared. And he was, as a young man, he was learning about farming from his father. And so his father took him out to a field to teach him how to plow it with a tractor and a plow. And he shared with him the importance of straight furrows or straight rows. Uh, I, I come from a farming background. If you're ditch irrigating, you want your ditches from one end of the field to be a straight line. The shortest distance is a straight line, but also it keeps the water flowing neatly, keeps everything watered. So, he, so this guy, his dad says, all right, what you do is you pick a spot in the distance and you focus on that spot and you drive the center of the tracker towards that spot. Get to the end of the field, turn around, pick a new spot, drive right towards that spot. So he says, you see that dark spot down there, that fence post? He said, drive to that fence post. So his son gets in the tractor and he's driving along and think, it's great, he's you know, keeping a straight, straight focus right on it. He gets about halfway through the field and just happens to look back and his furrow looks like a snake's back. <laughs> and just in complete frustration, he just continues on and he gets close to the end of the field and he realizes the black fence post was an Angus cow in the neighbor's pasture who's been feeding <laughs> like all over the place, right? It's not just that we need to keep our eye on the prize, it's that we need to keep our eye on the right prize, right? That we keep our eye on Christ because there is a lot, we talked about this last week, there is a lot of things vying for our attention they would ask us messages being sent, stories being told about truth. And it's easy for us to take our eyes off him. In Philippians 2.14, Paul reminds us to keep our eyes on the prize, the call of God through Christ, that immovable truth, the truth of forgiveness and redemption the blessings and promises that were given to Abram, and yes, to all those who live by faith. Are we focused on an immovable truth? Is that what anchors our life? Are our eyes on the prize? Because if not, we may bring harm to others. And that's where we pick up in verse 17. 
But the Lord says, struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, his wife. <laughs> Pharaoh's no dummy, right? He figures something's going on. He says, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for myself as a wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Now, again, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Now, this was by coercion <laughs> that Pharaoh, Pharaoh sends him away. I mean, he had poured out a ton of blessing on Abraham, right? A ton of blessings on him. As we mentioned before, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, camels, sheep, oxen, right? He was already a wealthy man when he rolled into Egypt. That's part of the reason for his fear. Like, who's going to protect me? They will kill me, take all my possessions, and take my beautiful wife. He doesn't trust God and this brings tragedy into someone else's life. Again, I, I, I like the fact that we get to see men and women in the Bible in their natural state, right? Not, not the Facebook moments, right, where everything is lovely, right? Best day ever. Meanwhile, you're curled up in the fetal position on your couch. I like what Donald Barnhouse said. He's a Bible commentator. said, God is in the business of growing Abram into a man of great faith. And this requires circumstances where Abram must trust God. Faith is not a mushroom that grows overnight in damp soil. It is an oak tree that grows for a thousand years under the blast of the wind and rain. And, and God, God is using even the messes that he makes to perfect him. Oh, what is he doing to you and I? Even the messes that we make, those bad choices, God says, I can make something beautiful. In fact, I promise I can. In Romans, he says, everything for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Just like God grew Abram into a man of faith, he is also perfecting our faith through difficulties. I, I see these last two years especially as an opportunity for, to, uh, for us to grow in the truth, especially in light of all the opposition that we see in our culture today. You know, if you missed it, uh, the, the Encountering Culture talk that Nathan and Holly did, it's, it's available on, on our YouTube channel. But just understanding that the things that we need to resist and how we are to do that. Again, if you didn't catch Pastor Doug's message last Sunday as he closed out the book of Jude, just how do we stay the course? It's outlined right in there. Because we don't want to bring harm, nor do we want to bring shame to the name of Christ. Pharaoh really becomes collateral damage because of Abraham's sin, and it's only because of God's promise to Abraham and the grace that this disaster is diverted or averted. God's promise still does not fail. Again, if you think you've gone so far that, man, I, I can't be fixed, I, that can't 
that can't exist in my life and, and, and God love me and use me powerfully. No, let me tell you, that is a lie. If we learn nothing from Abram's life, this man of faith, that he was a flawed individual, but what he did was consistently come back to God. Man, I, I mucked it up again. And he will muck it up again. We'll get to see that. Because no threat by anything in this world will subvert the plans of God. Not, not his sovereign will over all the universe to carry out his plan of redemption and salvation, but also his plan for our lives individually. Nothing can change what God is going to do in and through us. Once we become his kids, it's not like he's going to unadopt us. Good or bad, he says, you're mine, and I'm going to perfect you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Though Abram compromised, though you and I might compromise and fail to trust, yet we can still trust God. Amen? Have you obeyed the call of God to leave everything, to count the cost? What blessings have we received in our sharing with others? How has delayed or partial obedience impacted our lives? Are we consistent worshipers of God? Are we keeping our eyes on the prize and the purpose for which God purchased us? Are we harming, are we bringing harm to others by our compromises? In all those things, again, the encouragement is fear not, God will prevail. God will perfect us. We must be repentant people who earnestly seek him. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of Genesis. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together. Thank you.